tornado ravages Middle Tennessee and kills at least 24 people, and the coronavirus comes to the volunteer state. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of March 9th. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. We have a lot to cover this episode, but we're not doing any politics or policy. Uh, This was a harrowing week. Um, We saw everything from a very deadly tornado uh, that hit uh, throughout Middle Tennessee in a 50-plus odd uh, mile area. Um, We also had a presidential election. We saw uh, uh, actually a Democratic uh, uh, nomination or or a selection of Joe Biden. Um, And we saw later in the week uh, the president visit to look at the uh, damage in, in Putnam County. So we want to uh, first focus on um, what happened in Putnam County. To join us to kind of recap things, we have our colleague Anita Wadwani, who spent uh, several days in Putnam County. Anita, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So um, you were there for, what, uh, three days, it sounds like, in uh, the aftermath of uh, the tornado. Uh, give people f- who haven't had a chance to see uh, just kind of a slice of of what it was like to uh, tour the area and also some of, uh, you know, the people you talked to and the stories you shared in the aftermath. Sure. So I got there Wednesday morning. It was about 24 hours after the sun rose on the first day after the tornadoes. And my first stop was uh, a small town called Baxter, which is just outside of Cookville in Putnam County. And I went to a a subdivision that had been just absolutely devastated by the tornado. Um, I would say two dozen of the homes in the subdivision, kind of as far back as I was able to go before the debris blocked the road, were either completely flattened or the second floor was gone or one or the other side of the homes was gone. So while we were there, we were talking to people who were still in just complete shock at what had happened to them. I talked to a man, he was uh, 60 years old, and he described being in his upstairs bedroom sound asleep. He got no warning. He just remembers waking up to being sucked out of his second floor bedroom And he landed in his backyard on his back, uh, just completely stunned at what happened. He was still stunned a day later. While we were standing in his driveway, he pointed upstairs at at where his bedroom was, and there was nothing. There there were no walls. I could see the toilet in his bedroom bathroom, uh, but that was it. It was just absolutely stunning. I talked with this... um, 16-year-old boy who lived not very far from that man who had been asleep in his basement bedroom and also just just woken up, no warning. Uh, He woke up to the sound of his sister's screams um, and was just completely disoriented. So he described just clawing his way up the cement basement wall across debris to try and reach his sister his sister had been trapped under their um, under the bricks of their fireplace, which had toppled on her, and under a dresser. And he tried to rescue his sister. He said before he knew it, a neighbor was next to him helping her get out. Ultimately, she was okay. She just had some bumps and bruises. Um, but that entire family was in complete shock. 
before the tornado, this uh, teenage boy was looking forward to a day off school. Schools were closed the next day. It was Super Tuesday. He was going to get together with friends and play some music and play some video games. And that family is now um, completely uncertain about what the future holds. Their house is a complete loss. They're staying in an extended stay hotel along with at least two dozen other families um, who don't know what's going to happen next. I did talk to the hotel manager at that particular uh, facility who said that virtually every resident's hotel bill has been picked up by strangers who've called uh, and given their credit card numbers just wanting to help. At this point, um, or at least based on your conversations with those people last week, did you talk to anyone who had a plan? Did did really anyone know what was going to happen next or what they were going to do from, you know, a a day or two um, in the future? I don't want to paint too chaotic a picture of what's going on there because this was a completely unexpected disaster. It was the worst natural disaster in the county's history. Just as, you know, individual families, um, nobody can really prepare for something like this to happen, and nobody can be sure in the hours and days afterwards exactly what steps to take. But I will say that the entire scene was, there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of chaos in the early days. Um, The county officials were um, working really hard. They were pretty transparent and provided regular updates, but they were trying to figure things out as they went along, and that led to some um, chaotic situations. So one example is in the day after the tornado, people were desperate to try and find loved ones and friends. Cell phone towers were down, uh, service was spotty, and people needed a number to call to let officials know that they had missing loved ones and officials set up a number pretty quickly but it was only a single line so people would call that line and not be able to get through Mm. as listeners will know just from the experience here the last few days and maybe people who've been around since the 2010 tornadoes when something like this happens volunteers show up in droves there people just are able, willing, and ready to help. And that happened in Putnam County too. But it happened to such an extent that some of the hardest hit areas were almost impassable because volunteers, cars, and trucks were in the way. And what the county mayor ultimately decided to do was shut down those areas completely for Thursday and Friday because they were still working to get the uh, electric poles and electric lines uh, restored. So what you ended up having were um, a number of people. I, I'm not. I think it was probably you know dozens, if not over a hundred volunteers who had come to town and booked hotels, who spent two days um, just not really sure what to do. You know, they showed up to fold clothes at donation centers. Um, and, but there was just a lot of people sort of sitting around wanting to help and not being able to. I've spent the last few days, you know, in between work and, and going to, um, the Donaldson area, which is where I live and, uh, helping out, you know, one of our coworkers, Andrew Nellis, who his house, 
uh, was either between a total loss or a near complete loss. And it was it, it, it's so weird to see how random this strike is, right? Like it is in one neighborhood, one street, two streets in an otherwise heavily populated area. And when I was there uh, on Friday in Putnam County for the, the president's visit, it, it, it was very much the same way that, you know, uh, seven miles to the west of uh, where downtown Cookville is. It could have gone right through, uh, you know, Tennessee Tech, but it didn't. Um, but the, for the area that, that, that was affected, was just such a, an, an awful and, and devastating and haunting scene because it, there was just still so much debris and confusion and um, lack of direction. You know, uh, you have... Uh, just police and 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 officials around trying to restore it to power lines, while you have neighbors who are still sorting through the rubble and trying to to assess and and you know uh, move forward. And as I talked to to Andrew about it, um, I was really trying to get a sense of you know what's your main focus right now. You know, at least he's not focused on on work. It's just the t- the task ahead right now. It is focusing on that one momentary thing you're thinking about, and then everything else comes after that. And and it's just, it's such a devastating thing. And for people who want to show their support, um, it's appreciative, but you got to give people that went through this a little bit of space too, because they need to process this. They need to not feel uh, overwhelmed by all of the outpouring of support that people have for them. Um, uh, that, you know, they need to thank everybody. There'll be time for that. But I I can only imagine, you know, um, what you went through uh, spending a few days there, Anita. And I I think uh, we're really appreciative for, for the work that you did this week, as well as what you, you know, did in the aftermath of the 2010 flood. Let me just say one thing about that. Um, I was out there for three days, and I was there with a couple of colleagues and photographers. Um, We went home to a clean hotel room every night, uh, were able to take showers. Um, And so this was not a a tough job on our part. I I did talk with the editor of the Citizen Herald, which is the 118-year-old community newspaper, They have three reporters and three editors. All six of those people either knew someone who died, had their homes damaged, um, had friends of friends who'd been impacted. They're working 12, 16, 18 hours a day um, and felt really strongly uh, their responsibility to get this newspaper out, to get information out for people especially as the shock wears out and people's next steps have to turn to how do they file an insurance claim? How do they file a TEMA claim? Do they need a, a, a lawyer? And there's, uh, there's now a couple of teams of volunteer lawyers who are helping people. Um, so, uh, you know, I think there are people in the community who are beginning to turn their focus to whatever those next steps are. And um, that, of course, the state of emergency remains in effect in Tennessee and as well as um, for three counties, Davidson, Putnam and Wilson counties, people in those counties, um, all of whom, you know, experience fatalities can begin applying for FEMA funds. Now, um, the the state um, insurance and commerce department has has tried to help people in that process, setting setting up these these mobile um, processing centers at shelters and 
um, they're continuing those efforts to make sure that people aren't getting scammed in this process after experiencing so much devastation um, and and for many people, you know, confusion about how to proceed um, with applying with um, with FEMA and with um, their insurance companies and whatnot. Um, so so there's there's a lot to be done there, but that process has begun. The governor has said, you know, they have they have attempted to try to expedite. Um, this process of getting FEMA funds and um, the, Donald Trump, the, the president in his visit, committed to um, doing what he could with that. And so we will see how this unfolds. I I can only imagine that it's it, th- there's going to be quite a bit of um, frustration and disappointment in this process because it seems like that's how it is almost everywhere. Um, but it's something that we will continue uh, to monitor moving forward. Thanks for coming on, Anita. Yeah, thanks for having me. This week, we have Brett Kelman, our healthcare reporter at the Tennessean, on the podcast to catch us up with the latest on the coronavirus developments in the state. This is an issue that is very fluid. We are recording this segment midday Monday. There is a press conference scheduled later today um, from the governor's administration. Um, But we're going to talk about right now what we do know. So, Brett, why don't you tell us what the scenario is right now in the state? Sure. Uh, So happy to be here. Um, So coronavirus has come to Tennessee. As of now, uh, midday on Monday, there are three known cases of the virus in the state, one in Memphis, one in Davidson County, and one in Williamson County. The patients in Davidson County and Williamson County are quarantined at home with mild symptoms, and the patient in Memphis is currently hospitalized. Uh, So far, we don't have any confirmation of community spread, which is the virus jumping from one Tennessean to another Tennessean. When that happens, it means that the outbreak has really begun in this state. For now, everything we know about these cases suggests that these people got the virus in other states and then brought it here. But it's a rapidly evolving uh, situation. And to be honest, by the time you listen to this podcast, it's almost certainly going to be different. I think last week when we we saw the confirmation from the administration, uh, they noted the severity, the significance of this moment. Uh, You had Governor Bill Lee on hand. Uh, You had several members of his internal uh, cabinet, including his legal counsel, his chief of staff, which is not something you normally see, um, while also trying to tamp down, uh, you know, mass uh, fear. Um, They were trying to say that the state is well prepared. But in their uh, presentation, in their um, uh, first press conference, we asked a number of questions. Uh, I I will give uh, Dr. Piercy, Lisa Piercy, uh, the commissioner of the Department of Health credit because she fielded most questions. She did not know uh, answers to everything that we asked. Um, But, uh, you know, one of the quick things that we found out uh, a couple hours later was how many tests were available um, Brett, talk a little bit about the uh, the issue of testing. Sure. So nationwide, uh, testing for coronavirus has been a challenge. The CDC has not had as many tests as its counterparts in other countries like South Korea. And, and I think uh, nationwide at this point, only a few thousand people have been tested for coronavirus. What we learned last Thursday was that Tennessee had the capacity to test about 85 more people, which certainly seems like a number we could very easily reach. I did learn over the weekend from the state, uh, one of the state officials, that we had acquired more tests over the weekend, but I don't know how many more, and they weren't able to estimate it for me. So as of right now, I don't know what our testing capacity is, 
but it doesn't seem to be especially high. I think what everyone's waiting on is for these tests to become commercially available. They have been accelerated through the approval process so that they'll be sold in the open market, which means that local hospitals should be able to buy supplies of these tests and have them if they need them. It doesn't mean you can go to Walgreens and buy them, but it means there should be a whole nother commercial supply for hospitals. Because these are, it costs thousands of dollars for these tests. We're not talking in, I've seen numbers range from $3,000 a test to $10,000 a test. Uh, which is, again, something you're not going to be buying at, at Walmart or Walgreens or anything like that. Um, the good news on that is I did see today uh, the Tennessee Insurance Commissioner called for health insurance companies to fully cover the tests. And I believe Blue Cross and Blue Shield of uh, Tennessee, which is the largest insurance company in the state, has said it's going to fully cover tests. So hopefully, if we get to a point where people are going to local hospitals and getting tests there, they at least won't also have to deal with this large financial burden to protect themselves and prevent the spread of this virus. The last thing we want is to have both a health epidemic and a cost epidemic happening at the same time. And on that note of affordability, um, just at the end of the week, Representative John Mark Wendell, he is a Democrat from Livingston. It's a rural area in Tennessee, filed a a late bill. So the bill filing deadline ended more than a month ago, um, a, a late bill that would tell the governor to negotiate with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, as well as with the president, um, to ensure that uninsured Tennesseans uh, will receive free primary care for coronavirus treatments and prevention. Um, it's unclear whether Bill Lee would uh, actually go along with that. The, the bill language um, reads like it, the governor is authorized to enter immediate negotiations with them. So whether he would do that, I don't know. It remains to be seen. But that is um, one measure that the Democrats here in Tennessee have taken um, in an effort to make sure that no one is um, not receiving the treatment they will need because of affordability. This, of course, is, you know, we're focused with you, Brett, on the um, uh, health aspect of this, but there is uh, a a wave of other ramifications that we're beginning to see in the United States, uh, specifically uh, related to economics. I mean, we've seen the stock market crash uh, over the weekend. The futures uh, market really just tanked. This morning, we uh, saw the market open up and it's really low. Uh, We've seen conferences across the country uh, cancel. It wouldn't be shocking if a similar thing happen here in Nashville, where we see a lot of those. We have not seen any cancellations to this uh, recording. But again, as this uh, continues, it's it's an ever-evolving, and it's going to have, uh, a, again, a public health uh, you know, aspects, but also economic. So I spoke to Mayor Cooper about this on Sunday, and he said, and he stressed, at this point, there have been no closures of major events in Nashville, but that all across this country city leaders were still figuring out the best ways to deal with this outbreak and that we're still in the early days. And what it seemed like he was signaling is that decisions are yet to come. And we have seen some of these big decisions made in other places. South by Southwest, which is a huge cultural festival in Austin, is closed. And I'm not sure if you saw this, but just last night, uh, the BNP Paribas tennis tournament Mm -hmm. in Southern California, one of the single biggest tennis events in the entire country closed the day before it was supposed to start. That is a massive ramification and 
almost certainly not the last one. And again, this is still we're trying to understand the the severity of the epidemic. But you've seen everything from uh, you know mandatory curfews in in other countries like Japan, uh, China, uh, Italy is now uh, essentially ending things like funerals. They're they're temporarily halting funerals. Uh, so this is something nothing to laugh at uh, in this country, and especially in a state where right now we are still reeling from the after effects of a tornado. We are still reeling from the after effects of a, a, uh, a health system that is struggling in rural areas. Uh, so a lot remains to be seen in Tennessee on this issue. Well, and I think here's the good news. Um, there is stuff you can do to help. And this sounds simple. This sounds like the kind of stuff we have been heard every day since you were a child, but it is still of value. Wash your hands. If you're sick, don't go to work. And if you are in the at-risk groups, you're elderly, you're immunosuppressed, you have heart, lung or disease, or diabetes, now is the time to start to begin practicing social distancing. Now is not a great time to go to a political rally or a sport event or a concert. And if you're a churchgoer, you know, maybe stay home and, and pray in your own place. Because this is the time when steps that we take as individuals could potentially help stop the spread of this outbreak. And even if you are not in danger because you are young and fit and healthy, uh, that doesn't mean that your neighbors aren't. And there is something we can all do to contribute to minimizing how far coronavirus goes. Thanks for coming in and, and breaking this down. Brett, we'll stay tuned for your coverage. Happy to be here. And for this week's Notebook Dump, Last week, the Senate Judiciary Committee moved forward uh, two of the governor's major administrative legislative proposals this year, uh, his permitless carry bill to allow folks to carry guns without a permit, as well as a, an abortion restriction bill that would um, restrict abortions on a number of different cases. Both of those moved forward in the Senate Judiciary Committee. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. This uh, podcast is produced by John Garcia and Erica Whitney. You can find us on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. Uh, as always, we come out with new episodes on Tuesdays. Uh, stay tuned for next week when we hope to have another new episode. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week. See you next week.